0: socialising more a helpful sleep strategy?
1: Socialising more can be a really nice way of feeling more vital and feeling better about ourselves. Don't think of it as a strategy specifically for sleep with a direct correlation, meaning I go out more, I connect with my friends more, therefore I sleep better. But think of it as if we're feeling better about ourselves and across many domains in life, feeling more whole and more nurtured and have got more self-care, So that's really catching up with friends, having social connections and maintaining social relationships. Then if sleep's not working perfectly, we're not gonna be as concerned about it because we're feeling healthier in general. We've got more reserve and more emotional resilience. So socialization can absolutely be good and a good way of coping with the impact of sleep maybe not working so well. And by stress management and a nurturing sort of pathway, yeah, can indirectly help with sleep.
0: Can relationship satisfaction or dissatisfaction impact sleep?
1: It's interesting working with people with insomnia. Often when people first come, it's very much about the sleep. But we can often tidy that part up pretty quickly and then we unmask that there are other things that have actually been impacting on sleep. Not uncommonly, it's relationship problems. And it's often easier then for people to say, hey, this thing about sleep's not working, it's causing me to not feel good during the day. Um, not concentrate well, not focus well, but then you take out the sleep and find people still got exactly the same Symptoms and it does boil down to yeah, There's something else going on So relationship problems can definitely cause sleep problems You know, if we're not comfortable with ourselves and there's an inner restlessness and that inner sort of disquiet Of course, we're not going to be able to switch off well at night and not going to be able to stay switched off or settled well during the night Conversely, having good relationships and feeling like we're well nurtured and well cared for in relationships can be you know, very satisfying. And so when it's time for go to sleep, sure, sleep's not perfect, the environment's not perfect, but you know what? I'm safe and secure in my relationship. That can go a long way towards helping us switch off and sleep well.
0: Do people tend to sleep better with a partner in the same bed or alone?
1: Some people sleep better with a partner and others sleep better alone. It is a little irrational, though, expecting to be able to share a bed with someone that we're not genetically related to and therefore should have a different sleep need, different time they want to go to bed, different time of, or length of time they're going to sleep for, wanting different temperature in the bedroom. You know, all their sleep needs being slightly different, yet we expect to be able to go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time, feel that it works equally well for us. That's a bit irrational really, when you step back from it, thinking we should be able to share a bed with someone and it worked for both of us. In essence, if you think about it, sharing a bed with someone's a compromise on each part. It's not gonna be perfect for either, so both parties are gonna have to compromise a bit. Hopefully it's not two people who are both bad sleepers and not willing to compromise, because if that's the case, actually probably better sleeping in separate beds, because then people can tailor their bedroom environment to what they feel is gonna work better for them.
0: What can people do if their partner snores?
1: If your partner's snoring and it's interfering with your sleep, one option is get your partner snoring seen too. There are good snoring treatments available, so get them to talk to their doctor about it. Snoring can also be a sign of other health problems, such as sleep apnea, so probably important to check it out rather than just dismiss it. If it's not really causing them problems, but you're concerned about the noise, you can have them wear some devices such as something in the mouth or something in the nose to help reduce snoring. Uh, or you could wear earplugs to reduce the intensity of the noise of snoring. If it is all getting a bit too much, going somewhere else, having them sleep in a separate room can reduce the impact uh, of snoring. But it's also important too to step back and think, is the snoring really that intense that it is causing me to be um, have my sleep disturbed? Or is it really that I've got become almost obsessed about the snoring, just that little bit of a noise sets up that reaction, oh, I wish he wasn't snoring or I wish he wasn't making that noise and it's disturbing my sleep and therefore it's interfering with my day. Because sometimes that can get a bit of a life of its own and make the snoring worse than it would be otherwise.
0: Is sex before sleep helpful or harmful to sleep
1: quality? So sex before sleep can be helpful for sleep for some, and get in the way of sleep for others. And it does boil down to different responses for different individuals. There's certainly uh, well documented that after sex, people can more easily fall asleep. And sex or ejaculation or orgasm can improve symptoms of some sleep disorders like restless leg symptom, for example, can settle some restless leg symptoms before bed. However, the converse is for other people, sex can really stir up that adrenaline system and they can find that for some time after sex, they really find it hard to wind down. So you have gotta learn by experience, see what works for you. And if it is that it helps with sleep, sure, recognize that and know that may happen. But if it interferes with sleep, also recognize that and know that that's just an expected thing that's gonna happen after sex.
0: How much time in bed is too much?
1: Everyone has slightly different sleep needs. Some people need five hours sleep and feel they can function well, whereas other people need nine or 10 hours and feel like they can function well. So how much time we spend in bed should closely match how much sleep we need. And the problems arise when people spend an amount of time in bed where they wish they were sleeping. So they may be only sleeping five or six hours at night, but constantly spending eight or nine hours in bed, wishing for sleep to fill that space. It's not gonna fill that space. People are just gonna be awake in bed and that's gonna feed frustration about not being asleep and also feed a conditioned response about being awake in bed. So how much time should you spend in bed? Really depends on how much time you sleep on average. And there should be a pretty close match between those two numbers.
0: How can sleep restriction improve sleep?
1: Sleep restriction is a really great strategy for improving sleep. One of the most powerful drivers of sleep is actually being sleep deprived. So think of sleep restriction as a mild form of voluntary sleep deprivation, deliberately using our own sleep drive to make ourselves feel more sleepy at the end of the day and also sleepier through the night. Uh, The way it works is we would generally look at how much sleep on average people have been getting, not how much they wish for, but how much they're actually getting, and then allow them slightly less than that as their time in bed. Uh, And that builds up some intrinsic sleep drive, which enables them to get to sleep more readily and stay asleep. Once sleep's working well, and that usually happens pretty quickly, that sleep length can be gradually increased. Really nice research paper out of New Zealand showing that that strategy implemented in general practice uh, by people non-expert in sleep, so general practitioners, for example, was a really great strategy and proved very effective in managing people with insomnia.
0: Why is it bad to spend a lot of time in bed awake?
1: Spending a lot of time in bed awake can condition us to being awake in bed. And not only does it feed the frustration of being awake in bed and wishing we're asleep, the body can actually just get used to being awake in bed. So rather than getting a conditioned response, a good response of the action is I retire to bed, the consequence is that I start to feel sleepy and fall asleep. That can be replaced by, I go to bed, I feel a little anxious uh, and remain awake and don't go to sleep. So spending too much time awake in bed just perpetuates that response about being awake in bed. That's why a lot of the psychology and behavioural based treatments we use for insomnia involve getting out of bed if people are awake at night and also limiting the amount of time people spend in bed when they're not asleep.
0: Why do we need to wait until we feel sleepy before going to bed?
1: We need to wait until we feel sleepy before going to bed because we can't will sleep to come. Just going to bed wishing for sleep to come isn't gonna bring it on. We can control sleep at the time we get up. We can set an alarm in the morning and say, right, that's the time I need to haul myself out of bed. But we can't make sleep come at night. So it is important that we wait till we feel sleepy, heavy eyelids, head nods, feeling as if I'm gonna go to sleep before going off to bed. Sometimes people mistake feeling fatigued for the signal to go to bed. My day's done, I'm really over it, you know, I just want today to end. If you're not sleepy though, you're not quite ready to go to bed. You're ready to rest, you're ready to check out for the day, but that's different from sleep.
0: How can people manage jet lag effectively?
1: So managing jet lag effectively can actually be quite complex. There's lots of different components to it. really find the best way to start is when you're actually planning your trip and booking your flights. Seems tempting to go for those cheaper flights but sometimes the overnight flight that's got a stop halfway in between and a change of planes is just the recipe for a difficult time when you arrive at your destination whereas if you pay a hundred bucks more a direct flight that goes on the hours that suit your sleep schedule may actually be money well spent. Once you've got your schedule, it's a matter of then trying to look at what's the time zone I'm travelling to. How far is that away from where I am and my normal sleep pattern? If it's to the east, is it to the west? Am I needing to shift my sleep pattern later, shift my sleep pattern earlier? Once people actually think about it in that sort of way, it often makes sense and it's pretty intuitive as to what to do. It's also important to keep in mind that we can only shift about two hours to the east or four hours to the west per 24 hours without really going to a whole lot of trouble. So trying to expect to shift more than that's unrealistic for a lot of people. So that implies allowing enough time. If you're traveling, say, eight to nine hours to the west, like going from Australia to Europe, you've got to allow two or three days for things to come on board. Or if you're going six or seven hours to the east, like going to west coast United States, you've got to allow about three days for things to get on track rather than expecting to, hey, very machine-like, I'm gonna arrive there and I'm gonna be ready for action. If you do need to be ready for action when you arrive, think of it as needing to shift your body clock before you go. Again, for example, if you're traveling from Australia to West Coast, USA, and a six or seven hour shift, it's gonna take you about three days. So three days out, you might be on Melbourne or Sydney time, two days out, you might be on Auckland time, one day out, you might be on Hawaii time, and then travel day on Los Angeles or West Coast time, so that when you hit the ground in Los Angeles or on the West Coast, you're ready to go. There are some tools that can increase the rate of shifting your body clock, and that is use of melatonin to help tell the body, hey, it's night time, time to go to sleep, and use of bright light first thing in the morning to give exactly the opposite signal, hey, it's morning time. Time to get going. This is the time the day starts. So I always like to travel with the tools for managing light exposure. So that is when I'm on the plane, eye shades and also uh, some ability to deliver light, be it sort of light glasses or the ability on the plane to have my own light that's going to allow me to turn on the light when it's light at my destination. And I really like noise cancelling headphones as well, because they allow you to just isolate yourself from everybody else. Other people on the plane are travelling to somewhere different you're travelling to. So they may have different time zones they're trying to adjust to and different sleep schedules. So you need to pretty much run on your schedule. And having headphones, eye shades and a light source are a really nice way of doing that.
0: Are there any effective strategies for people wanting to sleep on a plane?
1: Some good strategies for trying to sleep on a plane are being able to control your environment. And you've got limited control over that, particularly in economy, but there are some things you can do. Eye shades are a really cheap, simple tool of being able to manage light and dark. You want it to be dark? Put your eye shades on. Noise cancelling headphones are also a great tool. You want it to be quiet, you just want to be in your own little world? Put your noise cancelling headphones on. And the combination of those two things can really help you manage your environment. You just get your own little space, your noise cancelling headphones, and your eye shades, and you can have your nice little quiet space. Another important thing for being on a plane is not to think I need to get a certain amount of hours of sleep, because you almost guarantee that's not gonna happen. But rest, dozing can actually work quite well. It's often movies, so put your headphones on, make it nice and dark, settle back, Put the movie on and if you end up dozing through the movie and dozing through a number of movies across a long flight that's actually going to be helpful for you it may not be as good as if you got a solid night's sleep but it's hard to get a solid night's sleep on a plane and if you're really expecting to get a solid night's sleep sitting up jammed in between a whole lot of people on a plane really you know that's pretty unrealistic expectation So it is a matter of just trying to control your environment as best as possible. Recognising sleep's gonna be challenging, so not having too high an expectation on how much sleep you're gonna get. Because if we put too high an expectation on sleep, we end up just getting frustrated and make things worse than what they would be otherwise.
0: What would happen to sleep if people were on a cruise ship or an overnight
1: train? Some people find with a rocking motion, such as on a cruise ship or on a train, they feel that they sleep a bit better. a little bit of data about that and in fact that um, made a company Philips a few years ago had a device that they developed for insomnia that sat on just behind the ear and simulated the rocking motion as if you're at sea and they did have some data showing it actually helped people get to sleep and stay asleep there's some technical problems with it so never really made it as a commercial device so you won't find it anywhere but it does tell you that the rocking motion of travel Uh, particularly that slower form of travel, not aeroplane to travel, uh, can have a positive impact for sleep. Now traveling via train, trying to sit up on a train, can be reasonably uncomfortable, whereas if you have a sleeper cabin and you're able to lay flat, at least you've got your own private space and you can manage noise, you can manage light and you can manage your environment, and it's also a bit more comfortable for sleeping. Similar on a boat, if you're on an overnight boat, sitting up in a chair is far less comfortable and far less conducive to sleep than if you have a cabin where you can actually usually get a bit better sleep.
0: What are the most effective ways to quieten the mind?
1: There are a range of different strategies to quieten the mind before bed and what's going to work well is going to be different from person to person. For one person, it may be really quiet time reading or doing something contemplative like meditation or yoga. For someone else who doesn't really like that stillness or quiet so much, they may prefer to be distracted by something, watching television, something else that's just got to keep their mind off those internal ruminations, that thinking, the what if, the what could be. For others, even gentle exercise, focusing on the movement can help distract the mind and allow mind and body to be quieter. So, nice movement like yoga, Pilates, stretching, those type of movements, some people may actually find helpful as well.
2: When you do a Google search on how to sleep well, yoga and Pilates often do come up. Um, Pilates itself, you know, it is a, a, a practice which is exercise, you're working muscles, you're focusing on breathing, um, and all these things contribute to general wellness. Um, in terms of their effects on sleep, there isn't really strong research from what I have found, anyway, um, to suggest that you know, I guess Pilates will improve sleep. There's some small studies, um, and people will see some small reports in their sleep quality. Um, and so if someone doesn't have a you know a Sort of diagnosed insomnia or another sleep disorder, they're just a bit, you know, a bit stressed, needing to look after themselves a bit better. Doing something like Pilates or other general exercise um, can be really helpful because it helps to reduce physiological arousal and manage stress. So, if they're the main things that are getting in the way of sleep at the time, then sure, that can be a really great strategy.
0: Yoga um,
2: actually has a little bit more research around it. Um, and especially in, in that sense of reducing physiological arousal, um, and I have a lot of clients that do report, it, you know, although yoga, you know, it's not sort of do yoga and fall asleep straight away. It's around when they're feeling really stressed and anxious. It can, you know, it um, the way that yoga works and using the body and the breath um, can really help to get people in a bit more of a relaxed and calm state, uh, which is a little bit more conducive, um, you know, towards sleep. Definitely say yoga has a little bit more evidence than Pilates and can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But if a sleep disorder has really kind of taken hold um, and and people are still struggling with having a lot of negative thoughts around sleep, um, worrying a lot about their sleep, then again it's probably um, a sign that um, doing a little bit of extra work with someone like a psychologist um, is probably
0: going to be a bit more helpful. Okay, great. Does exercise improve sleep?
1: So exercise can be a helpful strategy to improve sleep. It does depend a bit on the mindset. If someone's just absolutely thrashing themselves with the sole purpose of trying to get so tired that they can't but sleep, unfortunately that never really goes well. You know, think of a professional athlete. They're exercising day in, day out to high levels, and often they have difficulty sleeping, because they actually have difficulty turning off all that adrenaline drive. Whereas if the mindset around exercise is it's something that's good for overall physical and mental health, it's a nice time to check out from having to think about what we're doing, managing the kids, picking up people from other places, can be really good for physical and mental health. So exercise can be good for sleep, is a bit about the mindset, but don't think that if you just absolutely hammer yourself with exercise, that's a guarantee you're going to switch off at night.
0: Why shouldn't we exercise too late at night?
1: So exercising late at night builds up the adrenaline system and although we might feel like we've calmed down after the exercise mentally still that adrenaline drive internally in the body will make it harder for the body to switch off for some hours after exercise and there are other components too to exercise often there's a lot of bright light and that bright light can suppress melatonin production and again make it harder for the brain to switch off So if you're playing sport and there's a late game that happens as part of your sport one night a week, just recognise, don't try to go to bed at your normal time. Go to bed a bit later on that night because it's likely there'll be those physiological mechanisms that are going to make it harder to get off to sleep.
0: Could getting a massage improve sleep quality?
1: There are a number of factors that can improve sleep quality and a lot of them involve looking after ourselves be that through looking after our physical health or mental health. So nurturing ourselves with activities such as massage can be a nice strategy to help with sleep. It may not be so much about the massage itself but about the taking time out, having some time for self-care, thinking of it as treating ourselves, giving ourselves permission to stop doing things for others and actually have some time for ourselves, as well as taking some relaxation, and relaxation's been shown to be helpful for sleep. So if you're thinking of having a massage with the aim of it helping sleep, don't expect it to help on that particular night, but think of it as having regular time out and giving yourself permission for self-care as an important strategy, not only for maintaining good physical and mental health, but for sleeping well in the longer term.
0: Even in winter, getting 20 minutes of sunlight exposure Is enough to have a significant improvement on mood, energy levels and sleep. What most people don't realize is getting this light exposure at the wrong times of the day can have the exact opposite effect to what we'd want in regards to sleep. For example, if people are on their tablets or computers too late at night, they can be up all night, not sleep as long and feel pretty unrefreshed in the morning. Is it problematic to sleep with the blinds open?
1: Sleeping with the blinds open can be good for sleep for some people, but not so good for other people. If you've got the blinds open, really you've got to think about that as, is my sleep pattern or the time that I want to wake up in sync with when it's going to be light outside? If that's the case, actually going to work as a good strategy. If it is the time that you're needing to wake up or get ready for work is not the same as when it's going to be light outside, that's when you're better to keep the blinds down because the time that it's light outside really varies from different times of the year, even in Australia where we're not too far from the equator. Uh, And so whether you need the blinds up or blinds down is going to depend on time of the year, what time the sun's coming up, and what your needs are in terms of when you wake up.
0: Does the room
1: need to be pitch black? A room doesn't need to be pitch black for people to sleep well. If people have had trouble with sleep, they can definitely think that conditions need to be absolutely perfect for sleep to be able to succeed at sleep. I see a lot of people with insomnia who feel that unless it's absolutely pitch black, then no chance of sleeping. I see people who've gotten to the point when where they travel, they'll take rolls of alfoil to put alfoil in the windows of hotel rooms to completely block out any light for fear that they won't be able to control the light and it's gonna impact on sleep. But in reality, we can sleep when there's a bit of light or when the curtains aren't perfect. Because if you think of our ancestors sleeping out in the open air or in caves, there was always a bit of light, be it from the moon or be it from the fire. So we are capable of sleeping with light and don't need it to be pitch black during the night.
0: What would happen if someone slept with their lights on?
1: If someone's in the habit of sleeping with the lights on at full intensity, it is going to interfere somewhat with sleep. The eyes will detect that light, and that light in turn will suppress melatonin production, which is going to make sleep lighter and not as deep as it would be otherwise. So it is good to have the lights down when sleeping. Having said that, people that are good sleepers can generally sleep anywhere, anytime, under any circumstances. So you will probably know people who are capable of sleeping with the lights on either during the day or at night, but it's not a good practice to do that all the time at night.
0: Can sun exposure during the day help with
1: sleep? So exposure to bright light, such as from the sun, can be helpful for sleep. There are, however, periods during the day when the body's much more receptive to sunlight as a promoter of sleep, and other periods where it's less receptive. The period where the body's most receptive to sun as being a positive thing for sleep is first thing in the morning. If we get bright light, sunlight-like frequencies, wavelengths first thing in the morning it helps to shut off melatonin production and synchronize the circadian rhythm really give the body a signal now's the time to get up now's the time to get going has less of a synchronizing effect at other times during the day at other stages during the day though sunlight can just have an alerting effect so if people are feeling a bit tired after lunch getting outside in the sun going for a walk can really help set people up for the afternoon to push through that fatigue or that bit of a dip they can get in the afternoon, but it's not necessarily going to be as helpful for sleep.
0: Do sunglasses negate the positive impacts of sun exposure?
1: Sunglasses first thing in the morning might negate some of the positive effects of sunlight. An example I've seen is cyclists I've worked with who can interchange the lenses in their cycling glasses and use a clear lens first thing in the morning to get that blue wavelength light, really get the body clock going, but then after the first couple of hours switch then to polarised lenses so that they can protect the eyes and not getting as much brightness into the eyes and that seems to work a lot better for sleep and for their overall sleep patterns.
0: Is watching TV before bed a good sleep strategy?
1: Um, great question Damon. And
2: This question I think it really depends on the person. Um, In general, sleep hygiene guidelines talk through, you know, having a wind down period before bed is a a great strategy. And I think having something to sort of help, you know, turn the dial down on brain activity before bed to help get you sort of um, in a bit more of a sleepy state is a great plan. Um, But for some people, TV helps with that, especially if it's a show that's not too stimulating. Um, You can um, turn it off if you're getting really sleepy um, and then go to bed. Um, For for people where that happens, it's a a really great strategy, Um, especially doing it out of bed rather than in bed, I'll say that. Some people, though, do find that TV and especially um, types of TV shows, which might um, be a lot of action or a lot of, um, you know, a bit more horror (laughs) type things, um, you know, might actually get people a bit more stimulated and finding it hard to you know, to turn that dial down on their cognitive arousal um, and actually wake them up a little bit more. Um, so for some people, um, you know, doing something like reading or, you know, some colouring where they can actually tune into their sleepiness cues and say, you know, am I actually sleepy in this moment? It's much easier to close a book or to, you know, to stop doing something else than watching a show that hasn't finished. Uh, so, yeah, for I'll say it depends on the person. If you get sleepy while watching it and you can turn it off, great. Um, if not, then
0: maybe something else is a bit up which bright screens are considered most harmful for sleep?
1: So blue wavelength light suppresses melatonin production and melatonin production is one of the things that can help us with sleep onset. As melatonin levels rise, once the sun goes down, it starts to make us feel more sleepy and is one of the important internal processes for getting us off to sleep. Having blue light exposure from screens close to our eyes, such as smartphones or tablets, can really suppress that melatonin production delay that signal of getting off to sleep and make it harder for us to get to sleep.
0: Can blue light blocking glasses improve sleep?
1: Blue light has a negative effect on sleep by suppressing melatonin production and delaying the onset of sleep. So strategies to block blue light once the sun's gone down can allow melatonin to rise normally as it would once the sun's gone down and help with sleep. So that can be with blue wavelength light blocking glasses Uh, or other strategies such as with smartphones or tablets using apps that block out blue wavelength light.
0: How long do blue light blocking glasses have to be worn for them to be effective?
1: We don't really know how long blue light blocking glasses have to be worn to be effective at night. It may be that all the time once the sun's gone down before bed that people have to be very careful about blue wavelength light. We don't really know. It'll be really different though from person to person. People who don't have trouble with sleep probably don't even need to bother at all. Whereas people who do have trouble with sleep and having a lot of difficulties with insomnia are gonna need to be much more careful about blue wavelength light.
0: How much work would be considered harmful for sleep?
1: It's hard to know how much work is harmful for sleep because it does vary so much from person to person. You know, I'm sure you all have colleagues who say they work 18 hours and then they just switch off within a minute and sleep for five hours and then they're off to the gym and work 18 hours the next day and they're doing that seven days a week and bragging about how fantastic they are. But you also see other people who work eight hours and say, you know what, I'm done. I couldn't work any more than eight hours a day, five days a week. So how much work is too much for sleep is a really hard question to answer. One way of thinking about it is when you start to trade off sleep for work, that's when it's too much. So depending on, and that really depends on what people are doing in the rest of their lives, but if somebody is saying, I'm gonna be going to bed later or getting up early to create more space in the day to fit more work in, or I'm gonna be taking out some of my own self-nurturing activities like physical activity, catching up with friends, food preparation time for eating healthy food to replace that with work, then work's too much. Once work starts to impinge on the things we need to do for health maintenance or we start trading off sleep for work, yeah, that's when it's become too much.
0: Is social jet lag a real thing?
1: Social jet lag's a real phenomenon. A lot of us who work are working long hours during the week and a little bit short on sleep through the working week and catch up a bit on the weekends. That irregularity in sleep length across a a week, some people will refer to that as social jet lag. And whilst one principle, the sort of sleep debt principle, where you think about, well, I'm half an hour under across the working week, I have an hour extra each day on the weekends, I come out about neutral. Whilst that concept would say, look, that's great, you catch up over the weekend. There's actually some research showing that if people do undersleep through the working week, they don't completely catch up on the weekend and performance isn't as good the following week once they're back into the working week and then not as good the week after when they're back into the working week and they just find week after week just feeling more and more tired so social jet lag can have that cumulative effect over time think of it as you know by the time someone's been working for three or four months they feel like yeah i really need a break i really need to take a week off because probably that social jet lag is just causing that accumulation of tiredness over time. Whereas if people are sleeping more regular hours and getting enough sleep through the working week, that's much less likely to happen.
0: Could social jet lag really contribute to a greater risk of cardiovascular disease?
1: It's not really clear as yet whether social jet lag increases the risk of physical disorders such as cardiovascular disease. There is some emerging basic science data to suggest that there may be some evidence for that. And certainly physiologically, it looks like some of the basic science data suggests that it might increase cardiovascular risk or at least change cardiovascular parameters. But the jury's still out at the moment as to whether social jet lag really causes future cardiovascular risk or cardiovascular disorders. How does melatonin assist sleep? melatonin is a naturally occurring hormone in the brain that increases once the sun's gone down and we're no longer getting light of a certain wavelength in the back of the eye using supplemental melatonin can tell the body hey sun's gone down it's dark outside time for sleep is coming close so if our own brain's not doing a good job of increasing melatonin to give us that sleepiness signal supplemental melatonin can augment that or essentially give us a sleepiness signal earlier than our own brain is giving it.
0: Why is the timing of melatonin important?
1: Timing of melatonin is really important because melatonin, well, think of it as a darkness hormone. So it's a hormone that goes up once the sun's gone down, stays up across the night, and then begins to be suppressed with light in the morning. So if we take melatonin across the day, it might have a mild sedative effect, but it's not going to affect the body clock at all, whereas melatonin's most potent at the time between when the sun's gone down and the time we'd normally expect to go to bed. Taken then, it can augment the body's own natural signal that the sun's gone down, we need to get ready, start switching off, getting ready for sleep. So it can help to bring that on and bring that forward. Taken later during the night, melatonin can actually have either a neutral effect or a bit of a negative effect. It won't have that same positive effect, because in the second half of the night, our body's sort of through the night thinking right, looking out for the light, when's the sun going to come up? And taking melatonin then is almost giving a signal, hey the sun's just gone down, so it can be a bit confusing and not have the same effect.
0: Are there any vitamins that are recommended for sleep and do they work?
1: There's no end of vitamins recommended for sleep. Almost every vitamin commercial I see is someone you know leaping out of bed first thing in the morning and stretching and greeting the morning sun. Unfortunately there's really not any data to show that vitamins can help either with sleep or necessarily helping us feel more vital during the day. Uh, I think one of the best things to do if you're thinking about vitamins and supplements and trying to augment sleep I'd be really looking to manage that with a um, healthy diet naturally prepared foods rather than processed foods, and a well-balanced diet with regular meals, and making sure there's good self-care with nurturing and looking after physical and mental health. And I think those strategies will go a lot further than supplements.
0: Why does Finergan make me feel so tired?
1: Finergan's an antihistamine, and histamine's an important wake-promoting neurotransmitter. So an antihistamine like Finergan will pretty predictably make people feel sleepy. Now, it A lot of people do use Finergan as an over-the-counter sleep aid, but the problems with that is Finergan has quite a long duration of action. So very commonly, even though it might get people to sleep, it will make them feel groggy when they wake up, and often quite groggy through the day. is also a bit of a dirty drug, like a lot of the other antihistamines, so it has some anticholinergic effects, so it can cause mouth dryness and some other symptoms. And if people are using it on a regular basis, they can pretty quickly become tolerant to it, so find the effect wears off, and end up, instead of being one tablet, it's two tablets, and they are even more tired through the day, but not necessarily sleeping any better at night.
0: When is it helpful for someone to take sleeping pills?
1: While sleeping pills aren't the main strategy for managing insomnia, there are situations when they can be really helpful. The first situation is when people are acutely distressed. So if someone's got a short-term insomnia or a predictable set of circumstances that's just completely thrown sleep out, and it's causing a lot of distress and a lot of impairment during the day, that's a good opportunity or a good time to use sleeping tablets, so just nip that in the bud get people back to sleeping well, that situational stress passes and then they get on with life. They're not on sleeping tablets going forward and they're not needing them and they feel like things have gone back to normal. The other time I'll use sleeping tablets is for people with a chronic insomnia who've done a really good job of tackling the change thinking and behavior around sleep that comes with chronic insomnia but are still finding they're having difficulty with sleep that's impacting on their day-to-day lives and often that's when there's other medical conditions that also impact on sleep like pain or chronic illness for a range of other reasons and that can also be a time when uh, a well chosen and appropriately used sleeping pill can help them improve their quality of life and function better in the longer term.
0: Why is it important to wind down before sleep?
1: For all of us in this modern day and age are busy. Always thinking about things, thinking about the next thing. Every little minute of the day is filled with a something. And what that does is it just gets the adrenaline system really fired up. People say, I'm used to running on nervous energy, I'm a busy bee, I'm constantly on the go that nervous energy or adrenaline drive doesn't go away immediately. It takes a while to settle and a while to dissipate. So being busy and constantly busy and then saying, ah, it's 10.30, time for me to go to bed and by 10.31 I wanna be asleep. Uh, That ain't gonna happen, we're not machines. You definitely need some time to gradually wind down. So it is important to allow the body time to gradually settle and those adrenaline levels to drop. So that is having some time where we stop, switch off, say right at my day's activities done to allow that adrenaline drive to settle before trying to sleep
0: what relaxation exercises are most recommended for people with insomnia
1: relaxation can be a really great strategy to help with insomnia and the type of relaxation that works the best is the one that works for you there's really not great research to show that one type of relaxation is better than any other a lot of people i work with will say look there's this style of relaxation really works for me for some people it's actually exercise they find exercise a nice way of them disconnecting from what they would normally be involved with so it's really a matter of finding something that you think you could do that fits nicely for you and enables you to feel like it gives you a chance to disconnect to feel like you've wound down feel good about yourself that's good for your physical and mental health So rather than thinking of it as you just haven't found the right technique or there's some secret thing that's the best way ever of relaxing, it just has to be something that works for you.
0: How can meditation improve sleep?
1: So one of the things that can interfere with sleep is a busy mind. And all of us in this modern day and age have got things to think about and often going to bed with a lot of stuff on our mind. During the night, that can cause us to wake at night, wake with a busy mind, make it hard to get back to sleep. So meditation is a really nice strategy for drawing a boundary between waking mental activity and saying, right, my day is done. I'm going to have a period of meditation and that transitions now to not trying to be focusing on things. My day my day's finished. The other way meditation can be helpful is using it across the day. Meditation across the day retrains the brain to be able to switch on, but also switch off rather than our normal behavior across the day is just going flat out right through the day and then only stopping when it's time for bed. When we behave like that, the brain gets used to going, come on, what, what do you got for me? I need to be going 24 seven. Whereas if we pause and use meditation to punctuate the day, it can really help the brain to switch off better at night.
0: Is it better to meditate during the day or at night if you're wanting to improve your sleep?
1: For improving sleep, it's not really clear exactly when we should be meditating. If we looked though at research around 10 years ago, it was very much about it would, everything would be about relaxation before bed. Whereas some of the research that's been done in the last 10 years suggests that meditation across the day may actually be equally important as meditation before bed. So if someone's looking to know, you know, when's best for sleep, I'd say both. Some meditation practices during the day, but also then drawing a line in the sand in the evening and picking a time where you say, you know what, That's the time I'm done for the day. I'm gonna do a short meditation practice to just draw a line under the day. And now I'm ready for sleep.
0: Can music assist sleep onset or sleep quality?
1: Some people find music a really helpful strategy with sleep. Think of it as a good distractor. So rather than then focusing on internal ruminations or the thinking about what could we be doing, what should we be doing, what do I need to take care of tomorrow, having music in the background has a white noise-like effect or a distraction-like effect. People can get focused on the music and following the music, which enables them to disconnect from following the thoughts and getting caught up in thoughts, which in turn can drive adrenaline and make it harder to get to sleep.
0: How could white noise or pink noise help?
1: So white noise or variants of white noise, such as pink noise or brown noise, but they can all help with sleep. For a lot of people they can work as a distractor. They can both act as a bit of a curtain for environmental noise. So there if there is environmental noise like road noise or someone's got noisy breathing that you're trying to sleep next to, having white noise or pink noise or brown noise can help filter out that noise. But it can also act as a distractor so people can feel like because that noise is there, they're less able to be internally focused on ruminations and thinking about things across the day. So it can help the brain to switch off a little better as well
0: is having a creative outlet important for sleep
1: some people find having a creative outlet can be helpful for sleep I'd conceptualize that as a stress management strategy a lot of us are busy we're very focused on the doing things for other people getting tasks done for work and family and uh, for others and don't actually take time out for ourselves So I think of having a creative outlet as we're giving ourselves permission to have some nurturing time. Time to work on ourselves for our physical health and for our mental well-being and that in turn can help us switch off a bit better at night and in turn be good for sleep.
0: Is the temperature of the bedroom important?
1: Bedroom temperature can be important in regulating sleep. If the bedroom's too hot, it can make it harder to sleep or cause people to wake at night. And conversely, if the bedroom's too cold, you can get exactly the same response. On average, a bedroom temperature of 16 to 18 degrees seems optimal for sleep, but that's the average. There are definitely people who prefer slightly warmer than that or who prefer slightly colder than that, and people that live in climates where it's much hotter than that, but they're used to it or much cooler than that but they're used to it. So it does depend to some extent on personal preference and who you're sharing a bed with because they may have a different personal preference and all relationships are about compromise uh, to some extent. Um, But trying to get that bedroom temperature somewhere in that 16 to 18 degrees would be optimal, but recognising that's not going to work for everybody.
0: What happens to our sleep if we are too cold?
1: So if we're too cold during the night, it can be difficult to either get to sleep or to stay asleep the temperature impacts on how the body regulates blood flow and part of good sleep is actually the right mix of blood flow to the periphery or the skin versus blood flow to the central organs and if the temperature is too cold for example you will get too much blood supply to the central organs to retain core body temperature and whilst that can help the body function well it may not necessarily be the ideal thing for sleep
0: Are electric blankets helpful or harmful to sleep quality?
1: It's not really clear whether electric blankets are good or bad for sleep, though there are some examples where they would clearly be bad, and that's if it's really too high. If the electric blanket's turned on high all night, it'll really keep the body too hot and make it difficult to stay asleep. Um, The ideal thing would be using an electric blanket to take the chill off the bed before retiring to bed, but then generally turning that off, as long as the bedroom temperature's not too cold during the night.
0: Can a hot shower or bath at night assist sleep?
1: One of the aspects that can help us with sleep is a cooling off of the core body temperature. Uh, So a bath or a hot shower that actually puts up the core body temperature and then we get out of the bath or the shower and cool off and then we cool down the body temperature can actually help us feel a little more sleepy and feel like we're ready to drift off to sleep.
0: What about saunas or steam rooms?
1: A sauna or steam room can have the effect of increasing core body temperature and after that if we allow core body temperature to drop that can also have the effect of helping us feel a little more sleepy. It is important though to be careful because too long in the sauna or increasing the core body temperature too much can mean it takes quite a while to cool down, can feel a bit overstimulated. So it may take a while to cool down and to feel sleepy So you'd have to be a little cautious about those sort of activities immediately before bed.
0: Are there any foods that can improve sleep quality?
1: It's not really clear whether there are particular foods that improve sleep quality. If you look online, there are actually quite a few different diets or foods that are promoted as being, hey, this is gonna be great. Uh, for sleep. There's a bit of talk about cherries having some melatonin, so if you eat lots of cherries it naturally increases your melatonin. There's not been any studies actually show that's effective. So in terms of diet we generally recommend a healthy diet, uh, a bit more protein focused rather than carbohydrate focused. Part of that comes from we know that carbohydrates can make people feel more tired during the day but don't necessarily promote good sleep. And people often get into a habit of going for the high sugar carbohydrates to prop themselves up with more energy through the day and that can cause problems with then switching off at night. There are some foods that can hinder sleep. So one of the groups of foods that can hinder sleep is alcohol, so it's got the attraction of helping people get off to sleep, but interferes with sleep in the second half of the night. Uh, Caffeine is another food, think of that as a, a stimulant, but something that we drink, and that can interfere with sleep. But preservatives is the other thing that can interfere with sleep. So for some people, preservatives like MSG or other preservatives in food can be very stimulating. For others, it can be salicylates, Uh, that can be very stimulating and think of that as one of the things that's in red food colouring. You know, we all know that story about kids and you give them red food colouring and they run around like crazy things. Uh, As adults we're susceptible to the same thing and that some people will be susceptible to some type of preservatives as triggers for insomnia.
0: Is it important to not eat too late?
1: eating too close to bedtime can interfere with sleep part of it is that just people can feel full and just uncomfortable and then lying down notice that some of the food that they've eaten is coming back up they're getting a bit of reflux and part of it is the way that the body metabolizes food so if the body's got a big load of food to metabolize it'll be diverting a lot of blood supply to the internal organs and that's just not the right milieu not the right physiology for the brain to be thinking okay it's time to switch off and go to sleep it's more in a mode of I'm processing things, I'm actually doing some work internally here with the metabolic system, not quite ready to shut down for the night.
0: Does consuming a hot drink before sleep help?
1: So the old wives tale of having a cup of hot chocolate or hot cocoa before bed, there's actually something in it. Uh, It can be from warming milk, so as you warm milk you get release of tryptophan and tryptophan can have a positive effect on sleep. And there's also something in a warm drink, just elevating core body temperature and then letting the core body temperature cool off. We tend to go to sleep better when the core body temperature has just come up to a peak drops off from that peak and that's the right environment or the right sort of feeling physiologically to help with sleep.